Meshach, come on up here. Does everybody remember Beth and Meshach? Yay! Talking about fellowship. Um, Meshach is going to share what's going on in Kenya and don't cry. Well, because you're going to say hi to everybody, but there's Kleenexes up there. Those days are behind me, man. I'm a grown man. <laughs> so, um, so, so the first thing I was asked when I walked in today was that I have a very terrible cannonball. And, and let me just address that elephant in the room before I move on. So, so over the weekend, we went to uh, the Benjamin's house, and they initiated me into this American culture of actually running into the pool, and then you tuck your knees in, and then you jump into the pool, and it's called a cannonball. But mine was very feeble. <laughs> in my excuse, I have never done that before. So Jeremy and Peterson, they, they are never going to let me hear the end of that. <laughs> Anyways, so, so thank you guys so much again for uh, really the opportunity to be able to, to share briefly about the ministry that you have been helping uh, standing along with us. Uh, so again, we, on, on, on behalf of Beth and the boys, we really miss uh, you guys. We, we miss being here. And we are so glad to be able to come and, uh, you know, have fellowship with you guys and, and see all these wonderful, uh, friendly faces. Um, when we left a year ago, uh, one of the, uh, the ministry that we had uh, been involved in, uh, do we have the slide? Thanks, Ben. <laughs> um, so my dad is a pastor for those of you that are, um, are seeing me for the first time my, my dad is a pastor in Kenya uh, he's visited uh, this church here and uh, with uh, Pastor Blake and the board of the church uh, we have kind of been involved actually uh, with my dad's ministry in Kenya so it's a three prong ministry um, it's a ministry around uh, uh, children's uh, often children's sponsorship uh, we also do uh, widows uh, skills training, and then uh, more recently, um, pastors welfare. Uh, uh, welfare is such a terrible word. Pastor pastoral support and training. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to be able to kind of just uh, give a brief overview of what has happened in the last uh, one year. Uh, before we left, uh, Black Black and I and, and Trinity and Bob, uh, we went to Kenya. And so we had really this great opportunity to be able to visit uh, some of the, the homes of the, uh, to see the kids that you guys have been sponsoring. So uh, this kid here, um, the kid in the red jacket, his name is Duncan. And uh, so we went to visit his house. And actually Duncan is being sponsored by Paul and Carol and Miss Missin. Uh, um, and so we had a great opportunity to be able to, to visit their house and uh, to be able to kind of just fellowship with her. And so that is her house. Um, uh, she has three kids. And so that is literally her living room and her bedroom. So we were able to literally fill up her whole room. And so uh, 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 
when we're talking about uh, some of the widows that you guys have been standing along with, this is the type of situation that they live uh, in. Um, and uh, basically, what the church has been doing through you guys individually and corporately is through individual sponsorship of some of these kids. So what the sponsorship does, it's, it allows them to be able to buy a uniform, or to buy uh, shoes for school, and also to be able to buy books. Um, and also provide lunch, uh, um, one meal for, uh, you know, for the whole family, at least, uh, you know. Um, so so this, the support you actually give also provides a meal uh, for the whole family uh, for, uh, monthly, uh, on a monthly basis. Um, and then, so the second portion of it is that we have, we started with 40 kids. We were able to get sponsorship for 28 kids. Uh, we have 12 kids who uh, we're still praying to be able to get our sponsorships for. And then the second component, uh, if, John, if you could get to the next slide, um, is the widow's ministry. So one of the things that, one of the challenges we also had was once as we are actually, you know, getting sponsorship for the kids, how do we then help the widows to be self-sustaining? So we were able to learn from one of the organizations that I've been doing this for the last 20 years, and they said that the best way to do that is actually to be able to equip the widows with skills. So by being able to equip them with skills, these widows can be able to um, you know, build something or be able to actually uh, uh, engage in, in, uh, in making some, some, some items that we turn around and sell for them, and then through that, they can be able to generate an income. So what has worked uh, for Kenya, we have been able to actually uh, do a very small uh, project with these widows, is sewing skills. Uh, we were able to, um, uh, through WIFAN, we were able to give them a certain project. So my, my mom came uh, to, to this country, right? And then she was given a crash course uh, sewing training for three days. And then she went back and she was able to train five of six widows to actually also do the basic sewing. And then we gave them a project that they were able to do. Uh, it was uh, very rudimentary. And so what we decided then is to be able to actually have a, a very specific training uh, a project in seamstress. Uh, and so we were able to actually raise some funds. We bought two sewing machines. And right now we're in the process of training these widows. So the way this works through WIFAN is we'll be able to find a market for certain items, and then we give these widows the contract to be able to uh, produce those items, sell those items, and then they turn around and bring them to WIFAN. WIFAN sells them, we repatriate that money back uh, to the widows. And so what do the widows do with this money? They actually be able to provide a food for the families. As you saw, most of these widows have more than one child. So the money helps them to be able to pay school fees, uniform for these other kids who are not necessarily in the program. And also just be able to, um, you know, like uh, maybe rent land and be able to plant more food, more corn uh, for the families. So, so, so that has really been one of the, the projects that uh, we feel is going to be very, very viable, particularly uh, for the Kenyan uh, 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 widows that we're working with. So now the challenge that has come because of this is, um, well, we need to be able to find a classroom that they, we can be able to train the widows from. Because basically what you see here is that the widows were trained in my mom's kitchen. So the sewing machines are in my mom's kitchen. Now we need to be able to find a space where we actually 
have uh, widows come three days a week. Uh, they get trained, and these machines are permanently there. So my mom doesn't have to move them to be able to make dinner, and then move them back. <laughs> uh, so what we are praying for is uh, for those needs that I've highlighted, highlighted up, up there in order to be able to do that. Um, and then the last slide, or the second last slide, uh, John, um, pastoral training. So what one of the really cool things that our church, you know, through you guys has been able to do is every three months uh, our church in Kenya is receiving $1,200 towards uh, pastoral training and also sponsoring the orphans that are in Uganda. Because my dad has uh, 12 churches. They're small churches, but we have eight in Kenya and then four in Uganda. So out of the orphans that are found in Uganda, uh, we fund the organization we're working with has not necessarily, uh, has not been able to take these kids on. So the sponsorship they're getting to be able to get school uniform and books and food is through the uh, contributions and through the church that you guys uh, give through Calvary Chapel here. Um, and then, of course, uh, our, these pastors, they, they are pastors, but then they also work on farms. They, they, they do menial work to be able to supplement, they, uh, to be able to actually you know, provide for their families. So what some of this money is doing then is to be able to supplement their income. So 30 bucks every three, 30 bucks, uh, for every three months. So essentially looking at $10 a month, uh, the pastor getting a supplement of $10 a month uh, towards uh, helping you know, uh, provide for their families. And then the church has been able to put on uh, uh, conferences for the ladies and also uh, the youth uh, in church. So that is how uh, this money is being utilized there. Um, one of the things also that we had started a, a while ago was uh, this concept of a, uh, where we, we buy a cow for a pastor and then that pastor, once that cow has been able to calf and, and get a calf, he actually gives it to the next pastor. So what you're looking, here is, uh, looking at here is... Uh, the latest uh, acquisition, uh, <laughs> Pastor, uh, his name is, uh, oh my goodness, Pastor Richard Mulei. Uh, Blake and I were at the church in Kisuluni, so he's the guy who received uh, this uh, wonderful gift from uh, uh, Tony and Linda Acevedo. So thank you, Linda. Tony's not here. Um, and then, um, let's see. So then the last slide, what, what I was going to actually exhort you guys is... Uh, we are trying to put together a mission trip uh, with Black to be able to go to Kenya. And we're thinking to go after Christmas, so around uh, January 1st, uh, between January 1st and January 10th. Uh, so if you're interested in, to, in doing a mission trip with us, I'm going to go with you guys. Uh, uh, let Pastor Black know. Uh, so then the other option is if you cannot be able to make it uh, for January, we're thinking that we want to do in May. So, so really, we're going to do one mission trip. So anyone who's interested in going with us to see the work that the church is doing and to see how you can uh, get involved, uh, these will be the opportunities uh, for us to be able to do uh, next year. Um, I think uh, that's all. Yes, that's all I get. That's all I should <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, John, John, go back to that very first slide of the church. You can't, you can't see it, but I'm in the bottom right corner. It has the church time. Bible study starts at 8.30. Church service starts at 10 and ends at 1. So I got a lot of time this morning. 
No, what I really want you to see, Meshach didn't mention this, so um, Christ Foundation Ministries has been the name of his dad's ministry for a long time in relationship and all that's occurred over the years. Um, relationships with Calvary's there in Kenya and Uganda. Um, you know, it's officially become Calvary Chapel Bungoma. Um, and again, in relationship there with Calvary Chapel. So this is truly a sister church to us, truly like-minded. And what a privilege it has been to not only get to know Beth and Meshach, but the family there in Kenya and just, Lord, continues to work in my life. All right, announcements. We do have some other announcements. Um, big thing today, we will be eating, clearly, right after this service. In the name of fellowship, the round robin dinners, uh, so you can sign up this week. Next Sunday, we'll make the bigger push for it, but next Sunday's the last Sunday to sign up for that. Again, another opportunity to really dig in and get to know other couples in the congregation. Volunteer ministry, opportunities there in the name of serving the kids. Uh, we want to serve our children well in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, we don't. Kids are fine in here, um, but we want them in the back being taught who Jesus Christ is and taught his word at a level that they can understand, that they can grasp, and that they're being ministered to as they're forming their own fellowships back there. It's a beautiful thing to watch all the kids. Um, Wednesday night there, if you know, you know, this is a good thing for, you know, somebody who's just graduated early college, somebody that needs a little bit extra that can be here on Wednesday nights to help watch the young ones um, as the rest of us in our classes on Wednesday nights. So Jillian is abandoning her post to go play princess at Disney World in Orlando. So that's her fault. Um, I do want to mention this. I sent an email to the board yesterday in regards to the sound panels. Um, so you can see the numbers that are there at the bottom. So last year we had a pretty substantial gift come in uh, that was designated to help update the, this room a little bit. The main idea, getting ready, rid of the ugly mirror, stained glass that was on the wall. Everybody who remembers say amen. Amen. All right. So, you know, gave us a paint job in this room. There was money remaining from that. So kind of moving on to phase two. So in regards to the sound panels, you can hear the echo in this room. For some, it's difficult. For others, it's not that big of a deal. But to get panels up there on the tin so that we can prevent sound from bouncing around this room so that communication is clear, it's an $18,000 project. So it's one of those things that we can make an argument that it's needful and helpful and it'll be a blessing to us all. There's an argument there that it's, you know, it's just wasteful. We got a beautiful building already. It's really not necessary, so why do it? Um, in that initial phase of, of this is the direction that we're thinking about heading in, um, my heart was that, you know, okay, then if this is something that we ought to do, then the body would be behind it, that the funds would be there. Um, so some funds have come in, but not all of it, which means that if we continue to move forward on that, that means that I would just have to, you know, just jam through and do the project anyways and pull money out of savings, and we can do that and afford it, and it's not going to be that big of a deal. Uh, but again, just in, I've been praying for a couple of months just in regards to us as a community, how how can we further engage in Kenya? How can we engage in our community here? So this is what I presented to the board yesterday. I don't know and we don't know yet in regards to what the final allocation of all this is going to be. But we have almost $11,000 sitting there that's designated for further building stuff. And my 
prayer in this is that the Lord would have us redirect that away from spending it on us and on our, on our building and whether it's, it's helping out with the land purchase or helping out with the building purchase or in needs that are there in Kenya, whether it's for specific needs in our community that we'd use these funds to really reach out and be a blessing and help to others. Um, I don't know if you're in agreement with that. I want you to talk to me about these things. This God, this is this is 13 acres of property. This is a 22,000 square foot building. It requires a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of upkeep. We need to be good stewards in regards to what God has given us. But we're not here to build our own little kingdoms. God has blessed us with so much. And we want to make sure that in all that we're doing, whether it's worshiping God, whether it's teaching his word, whether it's fellowshipping together, that we are being a blessing and a service to one another, and that we are being a blessing and a service and an outreach and shining the light of Jesus Christ in the community in which we live and in the relationships that God has provided provided us with. So pr please pray. This isn't, this isn't, this is not my organization. This is Jesus's organization. And we're here gathered together as brothers and sisters doing life together to bring glory to his name. So God speaks to you just as much as he speaks to me. And we need to move forward together in relationship. Amen. All right. Ready to get into the word? All right, I got an hour and a half till one. <laughs> Turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. We are going to go through Acts 15 this morning. I believe that this is something that God has placed on my heart. Uh, so we're pausing our study in Genesis. Much of this has to do with just, just what we are doing today in, in sharing a meal with one another as brothers and sisters. But before we get into Acts 15 and to understand the context, we really do need to cover the prior 14 chapters. So we're going to get a big running start at it. You ready? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously, Lord. So thankful for you. And I'm so thankful for the men and women that are in this room. What a, what a humble privilege it is, Lord. To have relationships in this life with other people, Lord, who love you who want to honor you, who are seeking you, who depend upon your grace, who depend upon your life, who want to sit at your feet and know you, who want to serve you, Lord, who want to be changed and transformed, who can't wait to see you face to face. So, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, as we see your words and as we see your works, let us hear your spirit. We're asking, Lord, that you would bless our fellowship with you and with one another. We're asking, Lord, that you would enable us and cause us to be of one mind and one heart for Jesus Christ. Lord, and in that, we all know that that means that we, individually, personally, we need to die to ourselves, Lord. We need to follow you. We need to love you. And these aren't just needs, Lord. These are wants. Let your will be done in all of us, individually and corporately. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of Acts is Luke, part two, so to say. So the Gospel of Luke, written to an individual, this Theophilus. And here this is the second part 
focusing on what happened after Jesus' death, burial, his resurrection. In the very beginning of the book of Acts, we have Jesus' last words here to his disciples. And these last words here in chapter 1 say, You have heard from me, verse 4, verse 5 now, For John truly baptizes with water, but you shall be baptized. In baptism, it's an immersion with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I ask this question. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But here's the emphasis of this baptism of the Spirit. You shall receive power. This dynamic power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the purpose is that you shall be witnesses to me. Where? In Jerusalem, which is where they are. In Judea, surrounding area. Samaria to the north and ultimately to the end of the earth. And it's in this scene as Jesus gives these last instructions that the disciples watch him get taken up into heaven. Fascinating scene. You know, we don't know the feet per second that Jesus was moving as this was a really slow event, whether this was an accelerated event. You don't know if it's fast, slow, what, but you can just imagine the disciples are just staring there, looking, they're watching Jesus being received up into heaven. It says that he goes up into the clouds. We don't know if the cloud layer was, was the ceiling low that morning, was that high, but he's through the clouds and you've got this group of people just staring up into heaven. And you know what that's like. I'm sitting here looking up. It makes you want to look up, right? We hear these angels show up. What are you guys looking at? The one that you just watched ascend, he's going to come back in like manner. And that's what we, as his followers, this is what we're looking for and watching for, the return of Jesus Christ. Whether it's through our death, which is ultimately we step into his presence, or it's through his return as this world's eternal king. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So this promise occurs there in chapter 2 of the sending of the promise, the sending of the Holy Spirit to the church this incredible scene of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the this, this speaking in tongues, everything that goes on here. Important, important thing to point out in verse 2 of chapter 5, and this, this is important because it's flowing through of what we're going to talk about today. There were dwelling in Jerusalem, notice, Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. This is very Jewish culture. This is very Jewish context. This is a very Jewish event that is going on. And from every nation, they're gathered there for this Feast of Pentecost. But it shows Parthians and Medes and Elamites, modern-day Iran, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, so all these in Egypt. So all these different areas of cultures and peoples who is gathered into Jerusalem. They're there for a feast, but they're all Jews. They're all genetically, for the most part, Jewish, or they are proselytes. They have become Jews, and they are there worshiping as Jews. And as Jews, they are watching and witnessing the Holy Spirit being delivered as a promise that the Jews received from God in prior generations. This is important. So as Peter stands up and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches, this is what's going on. He's preaching the crucifixion, the death, 
and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at the end of his sermon, this message that he gives. It says that these people were cut to the heart. What do we need to do? Verse 38, you need to repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Powerful words right there, but as many as our Lord will call, the majority of these people, they believe that as many is really just limited to Jews, not to Gentiles. And again, this is, this, is a, this is a culture that you have to study, you got to kind of stand in to, to understand and know what's going on. There's separation. A lot of this flavor we can get out of the Old Testament. But this roughly 120 group of believers that's there together in one accord in prayer with one another in Jerusalem on this singular day now becomes 3,000. 3,000 human beings, 3,000 souls that are responding to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then we get these descriptions of what the fellowship looked like, what the persecution ends up looking like. So as we fast forward in the book of Acts, you have this, uh, this sermon there from Stephen, the speech that he has given to the religious leaders. At the end of this, they are picking up stones and they are hurling those stones at Stephen's head until this man dies as he is asking God for their forgiveness as he dies for Jesus' namesake, bearing testimony, witness to who Jesus is, and bearing testimony to the Jewish leader ship rebellion against the very word of God and the one who God sent. In chapter 8, we're introduced, well, the end of chapter 7, but in chapter 8, we're introduced to Saul, this great persecution that rises up against the church. 8, chapter 3 says, Saul was making havoc of the church. The imagery that's from this word havoc is he is like a wild boar out there uprooting the crops. He's damaging people. He's persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting Jesus' followers in the name of what? In the name of his flesh or in the name of his God? In the name of his God. Because he looks at believers in Jesus Christ in rebellion to God. You have this, in this persecution, the church is no longer just centralized there in Jerusalem. So the persecution forces people to go out. So as they go out, the gospel is going with them. So through these difficulties and trials is often when people are sent out into different communities and shine the light of Christ and preach his message and people hear and people respond and become believers themselves. That's what's going on in Samaria. If you remember from the Gospels, those in Samaria, they were, there's tension between Jews that are Jews and Samaritan Jews, because Samaritan Jews are kind of half-breeds. There's a history there, but they've got different ideas. They're, they're bashing heads, but still, they're Jewish. So they're now responding to the gospel. And as they're responding to the gospel, the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church in Jerusalem is the same Holy Spirit that's being poured out there in Samaria. Yeah, Paul's conversion there, incredible. We're not going to sit in that at all this morning. But Paul changes from a persecutor to, to a man who is just madly in love with Jesus, which is awesome. Chapter 10 of Acts is tremendously important. 
And this is one of those realities. I was, I was talking to somebody this morning, just as, you, as I go through the Gospels, it's very easy for me to miss out on the cultural context of the account that is being conveyed to us. And one of those things, like when I think of the disciples, especially Peter, he's just kind of like a, a burly fisherman, rough and tumble kind of guy, but he's like us. He's kind of like of our culture. And it's not until I read passages like this that I have this oh yeah moment. Like this guy was a kosher Jew. So he's having a vision and these animals, all kinds of animals are being uh, let down from heaven and he hears God's voice saying, rise Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, I don't think so Lord, nothing unclean has ever passed these lips. I mean, for, again, this is, a, this is a reality for me that helps me understand Peter as a man, as a follower of Christ and just the community in general. These were... Torah, law-abiding Jews in their culture to the best of their ability who thought that their righteousness came from their obedience to God. And Jesus messed a lot with their theology and a lot with their culture and challenged these things. And as he has died for their sins, he, is, he, just, he just became a Messiah that they were not anticipating. Because they're anticipating Messiah to do something different, to come back and rule as king and set up David's kingdom that was promised in 2 Samuel 7. So again, there's lots of cultural stuff going on here. But here in chapter 10 of Acts, God speaks to Peter. And it, does, it takes an act of God to get Peter to do what he does. Because Cornelius... He is a Roman centurion from Caesarea, which is a community that's been built to the praise. It's called Caesarea. It's for the praise of Caesar. This Roman centurion says that he's a God-fearer, which means he's not a proselyte to the Jewish religion. But he loves God. He fears God, but he's not saved. And God gives him a, sends him an angel tells him to give the message, go and send for Peter. When Peter comes, Peter's going to tell you words that are going to grant to you and your household life. So Peter has the freedom to go to this Gentile. And as Peter comes to this Gentile, and they're telling, they're exchanging stories, and it's like clearly God is behind this. So here's the words that I'm out telling everybody about. I'm fulfilling uh, my apostleship, so to say. I've been sent by Christ. This is what he did. This is who he was. This is what we witnessed. He begins to share the gospel to them. And as he is talking, says that the Holy Spirit is given to this Gentile household. None of the church the 3,000 souls that became 5,000 souls that became a multitude there in Jerusalem, none of them were anticipating this event. And this event is culturally uncomfortable. So much so that at the beginning of chapter 11, it says the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, they contended with him saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Remember, Peter said, no unclean food. Nothing unclean has ever passed these lips. I've been obedient to God in regards to his commands. I've kept separate from the nations that he told me to remain separate from. Their gods are not my God. And God declared to Peter, what I have made clean, don't you call it unclean. And again, as we look at what Jesus did on the cross, 
every single human being, past, present, and future, has the same opportunity as you and I do to be clean through his sacrifice. All sins, all sins. And I'm emphasizing all because there's even in this room, there are things that I have done and there are things that you have done that you don't want any other human being to know or any other human being other than those that you were most intimate and close with. Those sins. Those things that we see in other people that we want to be like the Jews of this culture and keep as much distance as possible because I'm not to be associated with that. I've been cleansed. I've been changed. I'm not to be spotted by the things of this world. But here, what does God do with Peter? He sends him right into the midst of those that he died for. And he says, tell them about me. And when they hear it, they're believing these words. God grants to them the exact same gift that he gave to the Jews on that day. But this is uncomfortable for them because of their culture, of how they were raised, of what the word of God says. That, like, this is, this is hard. And what I really want to emphasize this morning is we talk about fellowship. It is hard. It is a hard, difficult, time-consuming, emotional cost, prayerful cost to engage in each other's lives in relationship. My life is hard enough to live just in my own little box. I have to step into my wife's box. I have to step into my children's box. I have to step into my parents' box. I have to step into your box. It's hard because everybody is different than me. You have your own thoughts. You have your own relationships with the Lord. God has wired you. He has created you, knitted you specifically in your mother's womb with your personality, your temperament. Now, that's not to excuse yourself so that you can just go do whatever you want. Well, because this is the way God made me. No, but he saved you to change you, to make you into the image of Christ. But we're not all just a rubber stamp of each other. Meshach's from Kenya. Not only can we not understand the words that come out of his mouth, but he has a very specific cultural context that's different. And I've known him for multiple years, but it's taken time to get to know him, to understand him. And as I, and as I experience more of his life and more stories, it gives me a little bit of nuggets. Oh, that's why he thinks that's way, that way. That's why he does the things that he does. Some of us get along with each other really well and the relationship is easy. Some of the people that you sit across the table with, it's like, apart from Jesus Christ, I would not hang out with this person if they were the last person on earth. Right? Some people's personalities really just, they rub you. My personality might rub you. Your personality might rub me. And ultimately, so what? Good. Iron sharpens iron. This is why I love our congregation, this body that God has blessed us with, because we're in a relationship together in fellowship. God has used you individually and corporately to conform me into his image in so many different ways. 
to cause me to grow, to cause me to mature, to cause me to be not so stuck in my ways and my personality, the way I think things ought to be done. But he's used you to open my eyes up to just the, the breadth and the depth and the height and the width of the body of Christ in Christ. It's awesome. Awesome. So, here's all the cultural issues that are being dealt with. And now, you know, we're going to skip over a whole bunch because I'm already long-winded. And I really can't keep you here till one because children's ministry will revolt in rebellion. Big emphasis as in chapter 13. Oh, I mean, so much is going on. Again, uh, read it. Hopefully you already know it. But what has happened is God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles through separating Barnabas and Paul and sending them there into Asia. So as they go to Antioch and Pisidia, this is all modern day Turkey. They go to these different communities. They're going to the synagogues first. Gentiles are coming to faith. Paul gets stones hurled at his head in Lystra. They think that he's dead. He might have been dead and came back to life. Um, just all these events that are going on. They come back to Antioch. They're telling the church, reporting all the work that God did. And again, at the end of chapter 14, it says that he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they're staying there for a long time with the disciples in Antioch at the end of chapter 14. Now chapter 15 says, certain men came down from Judea so the area of Jerusalem and they taught the brethren and this is what they taught unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved these are Jewish believers in Jesus Christ as the Messiah this is roughly 20 years from Jesus' ascension this is at a time when everybody is just figuring stuff out. Remember, at the, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of confusion. They're depending upon the Holy Spirit to teach them. Dependent upon a vision to go and reach out to the Gentiles in the first place. So here's a, here's a group of believers that are coming from where the central church is there in Jerusalem, where everything got sent out from. And they're coming in their teaching with authority to a community where these are Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jews. So there's, you know, there's kind of a separation. Um, but some of the Gentiles have come to faith. The Gentiles have come to faith there in, in Asia. So some of these Gentiles are there in fellowship in Antioch. And these teachers are coming in and tapping people on the chest. Unless you are circumcised, there is no salvation for you. Unless you obey the Torah, and unless you obey Moses' law, no salvation for you. Unless you become a Jew, you are not saved, is what they're saying. And they're doing this in service to God, in service to Jesus' son, misunderstanding the cross of Christ. Misunderstanding the freedom and the liberty, misunderstanding the law and the instruction that's there. That the law is pointing to all of us. Not a single, none of them kept Moses' law. 
None of them were made righteous through their own behaviors. Yet they're coming and tapping other believers on the chest. Unless you believe like me, you were not saved. Now pull that into our culture. Unless you go to Calvary Chapel, you were not saved. Unless you get taught verse by verse, you were not saved. Unless you get up and leave all, you are not saved. Unless you're a Methodist, unless you're a Lutheran, unless you're a Catholic, unless you're a go on down through the list of all the boxes that we shove people into. I want to see a raise of hands. How many of you have ever thrown a proverbial stone at another Christian in another ministry? I have. I've taken up that stone. This is what the word of God says. You, you don't believe what the word of God says? Die. It's been my heart. That's their heart. But their heart is influenced by their culture. Bring it into our culture. How hard is it to fellowship with a person of a different race? There's a lot of churches in our community where it's black only, it's white only. How hard is it to fellowship with a believer of a different political persuasion? I guarantee there's some, there's some congregations that are filled with nothing but Democrats and congregations filled with nothing but Republicans. Do you want to go to such an isolated community? This is like the oneness that's talked about in the word, the unity that's talked about in the, in the Bible. And as we sit down and sit at a table and you share a meal with another human being, in this culture, you're becoming one with them. And this is the issue that's going on. Not only are you not saved, I can't have anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you. This is, this is the words that are coming out of their mouth. Now, that's an opposition to the truth, because look at Paul and Barnabas. It says, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, verse 2, had no small dissension and dispute with them. Listen, these are powerful words. The word dissension there means it's a, it's a forceful argument that they're having, and they really don't care if these people come to their opinion or not. That's the kind of argument that they're having. It's not one of the ones where they're trying to give this apologetic and I'm hoping that you come to agreement with me. It's no, you are wrong. This is a heated veins in the throat and temple. This is a yelling match kind of conversation. Now, I don't know if yelling is really going on, but the internal heat that's going on, this dissension, this dispute, it's a, the word dispute there is a heated quarrel. It's used for rebellion. Paul and Barnabas are an absolute rebellion with what these men have come into this community to teach. So much so that the church there in Antioch is like, we, we need somebody to settle this. So they send Paul and Barnabas, Titus probably goes with them, others that go to Jerusalem. So they come to Jerusalem as they're going. It says while they're in Samaria, they're describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And this is causing great joy to the churches as they're going. Sometimes another person coming to the Lord, it's, it's, I mean, we are clapping and celebrating great joy. Other, other times, I mean, for other people that are hearing this, there's, are you sure? 
you know, this doesn't line up with the way that I read things, and I know what they did last night. I don't think they know Jesus at all. I mean, again, there's just kind of, there's this cultural stuff going on. Forget that last thing, because I'm not trying to make excuse for sin at all. But there's... um, Again, there's, there's joy. They come into Jerusalem. They are greeting the church and the apostles and the elders. They're reporting all the things. And note this, circle in your Bible. This is what God did. This is what they're reporting. This is what God has done in our midst as he sent us out. This is the Gentiles responding. This is how the, the God has poured out the Holy Spirit on them. This is what God has done. So if you've got a problem, you go talk to God. Verse 5. Some of the sect of the Pharisees, of which Paul was a part of, who believed. Again, these are believers. They trust in Jesus. Saying, it is necessary. It is an obligation to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. And here's the response in verse 6. Some of this, uh, again, you can read in Galatians 2. More than likely, Paul is describing the exact same uh, circumstance uh, where he says that he has a private conversation first with them. Uh, They have that conversation. Now they're gathered together with the apostles and the elders. So the apostles being the 12, um, those who were, you know, uniquely called and gifted and equipped by the Lord for his plans and his purposes. The elders, those, those men that are there and leadership and the truth in Jerusalem they are coming together to to see and to consider the matter verse 7 and when there had been much dispute again same thing there's a heated argument going on Peter stands up he says men and brethren you know that good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe it's always the same Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Preaching, teaching, conveying the message. They are hearing the message. They are hearing the good news. And they have been convinced and they're brought into this position of belief and trust. God who knows the heart. And I love this. This is actually, this is a title for God. He is the heart knower, which can be very comforting or very Fearful, depending upon your relationship with the Lord. God knows the heart. He acknowledged them. He testified about them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us and made no distinction. There's no difference. God made no distinction or difference between a Gentile believer in Jesus and a Jewish believer in Jesus. Purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why? Guys, you were there, you saw, you've been participating. Why have you drifted from the truth? Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, but we believe, and here's the contrast, we believe that through the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Which again, this is, this is a proclamation of truth. This is a proclamation of what they have been experiencing for the last 20 years of their life. 
You say, they're pointing back to this very first thing, you were saying that you cannot be saved unless you were circumcised and that you are keeping the law of Moses. But we say, we believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we shall be saved. Jews, as the same manner as they, Gentiles. Verse 12. All the multitude that's there listening to this, they kept silent. Now they're listening to Paul and Barnabas declaring how many miracles and wonders. Note this, not that they had done, but that God had worked through them among the Gentiles. God is the one who is confirming that this is his heart, that this is his desire, that this is the mission, that the gospel truly is to go to the ends of the earth. Every human being ought to hear. And have that opportunity to respond. Verse 13. After they had become silent, you have James. This is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. James is considered to be the leading elder there in Jerusalem. Says, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God, again, he's not just talking about his own opinion. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Very specific language because that's what God had done to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, the promises that he fulfilled to them. I have taken out of this world a people to me, the nation of Israel, to be what? To be a witness to the world in regards to who the true and living God is. And now James is using that same language in this group. They, They would all feel the power of what he is saying. God is the one who visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets, they are also, they agree, they're in one mind, just as it is written. This is quoted out of Amos 9. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle, the tent of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up. Not man, this is all God's work. So, Look at verse 17. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Look at that. So that the rest of mankind may seek Yahweh, even all the Gentiles, all the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord, once again, who does all these things. Known to God... From eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should make, uh, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain, to distance themselves from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every nation being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Let's read through the letter and we'll kind of back up and talk about those four things. It says, Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, whose name was Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men from among the brethren. So they're sending not just them back with a letter, but they're sending personal representatives to bear truth and testimony and witness that here is the official declaration of your brothers and sisters in Christ, the Jews in Christ to you Gentiles who were in Christ. They wrote the letter to them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren in unity to the brethren. It's a great word right there. 
who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls. The words, again, as they're coming in and preaching the circumcision and law and, and all these other kinds of things, these have been words that have unsettled their souls. These have been words that have been tearing them down, not building them up and encouraging them. And he makes note here, to whom we gave no such commandment. They may have been gone out from us, but we did not send them. This is not the message. This is not what Jesus taught us. This is not what Jesus has been doing in his body. We did not send them with this commandment. So it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will report the same things by, the word, by word of mouth for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell, otherwise be strong. So here's the, here's the agreement, here's the issue. So there's not just a doctrinal theological issue going on here, but there are very practical cultural issues at play here. Because what's going on is this, this definition of table fellowship. The Jews, prior to what Jesus has done, did not feel the freedom and did not have the freedom to engage in table fellowship with Gentiles. So the decree, this, this writing that the church is sending to Gentile believers, again, it's not even a legalistic head trip. It's not, here's your little checklist. Every single one of these has to do with the table fellowship. Moses has been preached in your community there in Antioch. Moses has been preached in these areas in, in Asia. For centuries, Jews have been in these areas. There's synagogues present. He is being Moses. The law is being taught is what's being said. So these Gentiles, they're aware of the culture of the Jews that live in their presence. And what's being written to the Gentiles is Gentiles. Be tender. Be gentle. Be kind. Be pliable and flexible in the fellowship that you have with your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Your diet is offensive because your diet is associated with pagan idolatrous worship. So here, food sacrificed to idols, it's an animal that's been sacrificed in the honor of a false god. As a Jew, I don't want to eat that. And that animal that was sacrificed, a lot of the times it was strangled rather than its throat being slit so that the blood isn't able to drain out of the meat. A Jew does not eat blood. And don't eat blood pudding. That stuff is gross, right? I mean, it's just nasty. Don't eat blood. But again, it's not this legal requirement that if you go have blood pudding or whatever, if you eat an organ, if you eat meat with blood in it, that all of a sudden you are now unsaved. What's being talked about in this 
as Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, have love and respect for your brothers and sisters who that behavior, who eating that kind of food, it's, it's, gonna, it's going to hinder you from sitting at the same table together and being truly one in fellowship and participating in each other's lives. And same thing, you Jewish believers, don't think that the Gentiles, that they have to be circumcised like you. Don't think that they have to observe all the ceremonial law that you want to continue to observe. Don't think that they have to celebrate the feasts and have a kosher diet. So in this, in regards to the, the discussion that is going on here, it has everything to do with let go of yourself for Jesus Christ's sake so that you can have unhindered, gracious, loving, fellowship, participation of life with other human beings who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That means whether they're from Mexico, from Argentina, from China, from North Korea, from Iran, from Iraq, from Armenia, from Kenya, from you name the race nation of people, there ought to be no cultural barriers for believers in Jesus Christ Regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of sex, there ought to be zero barriers that we put in place, keeping us, hindering us from having true, God-honoring, devoted relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the reality is what? I'm a people, and I mess up. I offend I have stereotypes, I have prejudices, I have my culture, I have things that I have to overcome in my personality. God puts me into situations all the time that make me uncomfortable. Why? Because he's drawing faith out of me. I need to understand, like, why are you acting this way? And um, why do you think this way? And uh, we're all different. But again, like I mentioned before, it takes a lot of effort. I want to bring this up because the last thing that we're going to kind of talk about before we move back into worship and then our meal together comes after this letter is received by the church there in verse 30. Um, they're sent off. Uh, they go to Antioch. They've all gathered together. They deliver the letter when they read it. The church there in Antioch, they're rejoicing over its context, over its encouragement, over its comfort. Talking about the gift of encouragement of the Holy Spirit yesterday at the men's breakfast. It's awesome. Verse 32, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets, they exhorted, again, this encouragement. And they're strengthening the brethren with many words. After they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the church there in Antioch to go back to the brethren and apostles there in Jerusalem. Silas chooses to remain. It says Paul and Barnabas remain there in Antioch. They're teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. It's like, yes, issues settled. No more tension and division in the church. Yes or no? This is why I want to read this next section here. And this is, when you go and study church history, there still is today, but even back then, there were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ that refused uh, the unity and the truth of what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing in humanity. They refused fellowship with the Gentiles. 
and still believed and practiced. Unless you're circumcised, unless you obey the Torah, there's no salvation for you. We will remain divided from you. I mean, this is, this is part of church history. But even for those of us who we are in agreement with the gospel and who Jesus Christ is, and we're in agreement that we need to, you know, not just have fellowship here as we gather in this building, but in our homes and in our community as we're trying to reach out and understand each other and all follow Christ together and share the gospel together, everything that this life has before us as we rub shoulders with one another. Look at verse 36. It says, then after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, hey, Barney, let's go back. Let's go visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So they're, they've been there in Antioch for a while. They've, uh, they've been teaching, they're preaching, the church is doing well. Paul's heart is laid on the, the congregations, the, those, the people that he has relationships with that responded to Jesus. How are they doing? I got rocks thrown in my head at Lystra. I wonder how the church in Lystra is doing. Barnabas, let's go back. Let's go see how they're doing. Barnabas, in verse 37, he was determined to take with them John, called Mark, cousins. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia. So the first time they went out, Mark went with them, but he went home for some reason. Barnabas wants to take him again. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. Verse 39, look at this. It says, the contention... The agitation became so sharp that they parted. They dissociated themselves from one another. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and they departed. Being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. He went through Syria and Cilicia and they went strengthening the churches. Barnabas in chapter 4 His real name is Joseph. He was nicknamed by the apostles Barnabas. means son of encouragement. He's one of these guys that I I guarantee Paul is probably a pretty difficult guy to be around. Barnabas comes across as a a guy that you just liked being around. You know, that guy that just always has a smile for you, always encouraging you in your relationship with the Lord. But here are these two men in their relationship together. And again, Paul and Barnabas, these guys were close. Because of the behavior of somebody else that they each had different perspectives on. And the road that was before them, they had differing opinions on what is the best way to move forward. So much so that as brothers in Christ, they had to go in different directions. Now, there's a question if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Some want to say it's a good thing. Well, God just divided up two missionary teams now. They go to different places. He's doubling the work. Later on, we see a restoration between Paul and Mark, which is awesome. We never hear from Barnabas again. But here's the reality of relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, even in this room. There are some of you that have already had arguments, maybe with others in this room or with others outside of this room in the body of Christ where the agitation has been so sharp, it's just, it's best for us to go in two separate directions. It's not that I hate you. It's just obvious that we're not gonna do well working together for Jesus' name's sake 
because we are coming at this from two very different perspectives. And sometimes that's very real. It's not an excuse for the flesh. It's not an excuse to sin. But there are, there are, and again, those ministries, those individuals where I've picked up the proverbial rock and hurled it at their head, usually it's because I disagree with the way that they're choosing to serve Jesus. Usually it's not even a doctrinal point. I just don't like the way that you're doing it. And again, then I go back on my heels like, so what? Why do, why do I feel the need to have control and authority over other people? Why do I feel the need to have, like, my opinion is the only valid opinion? It's the only way to do things? This passage, as it's revolving around fellowship in the body of Christ from people from very different backgrounds, in there, this, there's, there's a flavor that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And the, the reality is, is God is not focused on the circumcision of your flesh. God is focused on the circumcision of your heart. He's there to change us and to transform us into the image of Christ through the cutting away, not of our physical flesh, but our thoughts, our desires, our cravings, those thing, all those things that we are apart from Christ so that he will continue to conform us into the image of his beautiful son. And then as we have relationship, as he circumcised your heart, as he circumcised my heart, as we're in relationship not only vertically with, with our God and with our Savior, but as we're working these things out on the horizontal in this life, that this word here, that Paul and Barnabas, that they risked their lives for Jesus' namesake, they gave it their all. This is an idiom that literally means that they handed over their life to Jesus. And yes, it's to Jesus, it's always to Jesus, but what does it look like for your life to be handed over to Jesus in your relationships with the men and women in this room, with the children that are back there, with the people of your household, with those who you work with, the community that you live in, those people that you listen to on the TV and you read on the internet that just drive you crazy? As you hand over your life to Jesus, it is very risky and it is very painful to hand it over fully because he's going to have you walk alongside of people that are very different than you, that see life through very different lens than you do, who have had extremely different life circumstances. Some rich, some poor, some protected, some damaged. But Lord, I'm willing to risk my life for you, my comfort, my ideas, my time, my money, all that I am, Lord. I'm willing to risk my life for you. Here's my, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. But your courts just aren't above. Your courts are in this child right now. Through faith in Christ, his kingdom has come. As we go out into this world, we're not going to bring Jesus' kingdom of righteousness through social behaviors and social change and transformation. 
If he wants to do that in the culture, he can and has done that in many communities and cultures in history. And we're praying for revival again in our own. But his kingdom is already here if he abides and dwells in you as your Lord and your Savior. And now we say, Lord, here's my life. Whatever, whatever it needs to look like, Lord, whatever sacrifice, whatever relationship, whatever daggers I need to have hanging out of my back for your name's sake, if it's a physical stone that gets thrown at my head, Lord, may I have the heart that I see of Stephen just being able to pray and those tensions that I have with others, Lord. I'm praying that you protect us from sharp agitation with one another that would divide our fellowship. Because I understand people's hearts in regards to the division with Paul and Barnabas, but my heart tells me that that didn't please the Lord. It's, it, it's what was, it's what happened, it's what went on, it's real. But ultimately, even if they parted ways, you'd want them to part in love and not part in, in agitation and irritation. Worship team, come on up. So Father, again, in, in all of these things, in this life, So much of this world, Lord, it's, it's, it's that in, the, in my own heart, my own mind, my own behaviors, Lord, there's, there's, this, there's these obstructions to true fellowship, participation, sharing in your life. Lord, most of us, if not all of us, Lord, we have a tremendous amount of gratitude for the intimacy that we have with you, for the intimacy that we have with others who love you. Lord, I know myself, there's some people in this room, Lord, that their personalities are different than mine. And I come to you in truth and confession and tell you, Lord, I'm okay with that. In fact, I, I'm glad and I give you praise and gratitude for each person who's here. Lord, we're asking that as a, as a fellowship of believers in the name of your son, that you would make this part of the body of Christ to be what you desire it to be. Lord, we're asking that you would bless our fellowship as we sit across from the table this afternoon and we share a meal with one another, Lord, that we would truly have oneness and like-mindedness. Lord, that we would look at one another with love and respect, that we would cherish each other. And not just those who we immediately identify with, but especially those, Lord, who we just don't get and we just don't understand. They're different from me. Give us gentleness in these things. Give us truth in these things. Where we need to stand up for the truth of the gospel, Lord, I pray for that boldness and that courage that even if it's a heated dispute that your truth would always be um, sought after and pursued Lord but Lord in all of these things where it's just a matter of opinion we're asking that you'd remove those things out of our minds and our hearts and our lives so that true fellowship would not be hindered with you and would not be hindered with one another so, Lord, we open up our hands, we open up our minds, 
and we give to you our hearts. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would circumcise all of our hearts this afternoon, Lord. Cut away what does not belong. And I tell you personally, Lord, I hand over my life to you as a living sacrifice today. I hand over my life to you. It is yours. You are worthy. You are holy. You are my savior. You are my God. You are my provider. You are my friend. You are my teacher. You mean everything to me. I'm so thankful for your love for all of us, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave me in my sin, but that you saved me out of death. You saved me out of wickedness and darkness. You have placed me into your son and you dwell in me. And Lord, I'm thankful that you're dealing with this selfish heart and that you're creating in me, Lord, a clean heart that loves your children just as you do. Bless us this afternoon, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.